0: next kinnah is the first in a series of kinos. it's kinna number 7 page number page number uh, it's eicha atzvachah v'apecha how can you rush your wrath this is the first in a series of kinos to begin with the word eicha eicha a word which comes up which, eicha a word which comes up obviously beginning of Mgil's eicha but it comes up throughout the Torah a couple times the word Echa is a very interesting word. The first time it comes up is Hakadosh Baruch God turns to Adam after after he eats from the Eitz after he eats from the, the forbidden fruit, and He says to him, "Ayeka." Same root of the word "echa." Thank you so much. That's very helpful. The same root of the word "Ayeka." Where are you? Rabbi Salavichik says. And again, there's me a lot of quoting from Rabbi I'm using his. I'm using his uh, his this wonderful. Kenos Eicha comes from the word God said to him not just where are you but what did you do? How could you? How can it be? I created you man I placed you into the garden of Eden in a way in which there was a world that we don't never know The, the, the world before the world we know there was no death there was no suffering I placed you into the perfect place where you were essentially supposed to live in close proximity to me and yet you went ahead, and the one thing I asked you not to do, to eat from this fruit of knowledge, the one thing I said don't do, you went ahead and did. And because of that, you've altered the trajectory of history. In fact, you've created history. you created the fact that now I need to expel you from the Garden of Eden. You've created the idea of death. You've created the idea of all the things that we know when we think of reality. you literally destroyed what God's plan was. Echo. how could you? And says to my as follows, One of the most daunting theological issues that every generation has grappled with, we all at some point in our lives probably grapple with, is the question of theodicy. Theodicy meaning the question of why do good things things happen to bad people? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why is there so much suffering in this world? How can a good and just God allow man to inflict such pain on another man? How can a good and just God allow nature to inflict such suffering on this world? a question that comes up, unfortunately, more often than not for us Jewish people as a people. But really for every individual throughout life, at some point in their life, we grapple with this question. it's not just alone, but in fact, Moshe Rabbeinu himself, the greatest man to ever live, turned to God and said, God, why do good things happen to bad people? Why do bad things happen to good people? Moshe grappled with this question throughout the Nivem. Everyone at some point grappled with this question. It's a daunting question, and it haunts us. But ultimately, the response has been throughout the ages. A heroic proclamation of Hatsur tumin Paolo. God is righteous. The ways of God are righteous. God is righteous in all His ways, and we don't understand God's ways. That's always been the response. And despite the fact that we've grappled, and we've tried to figure out, and we've struggled, and the questions are legitimate, it's okay to ask the questions. We're supposed to ask the questions. It's part of what being human is, is to experience the suffering in fact Rav Nachman writes somewhere he said they tell me there is an Olam Haze and an Olam Hava there is this world and there is the next world he said but I look around and all I see is Gehenim all I see is hell there is so much suffering in this world how can it be a reality all of us in our own way we all have we we can argue our own little mini tishabas. and it's okay to ask the questions maybe I'll argue that's what says Rav Salvechik the word echa is Eicha is permission to ask, how could you? But ultimately, throughout the generations, we said, Hatsur Tampa. Paolo. In fact, the beginning of this, I think one of the greatest manifestations of this, is Rabbi Akiva himself. And Rabbi Akiva, we're going to come back to this story more than once today. But the story of Rabbi Akiva, and this is how Moshe Rabbeinu himself was grappling with this question, the Gemara and Brachas tells us, Om Rabbi Yehud, Ombarav. Moshe Rabbeinu, when he went up on the mountain, he finds Hashem writing the Torah. But more than that, again, what it exactly means, it's more metaphorical, but Moshe Rabbeinu found God writing the crowns on the Torah. Right? When we get the Leah, we open up the Torah, we see it's not just the letters, but also the little crowns there. Those little crowns the little lines in the of the Torah. So he says, God is tying the crowns to each of the letters. So what does Moshe say? He says, Why are you doing this? What's the point? What's the point of writing these making these little, these little crowns? So God says to Moshe, let me explain to you. In many years from now, there's going to be a man by the name of Kiva ben Yosef, the great Rabbi Akiva we know the Dorish, I'll quotes the the He said he's going to find a way to derive from each and every thorn of these crowns mounds and mounds of halachos, the imagery there. From each little line, he's going to find ways to Dorish, to explain and explicate the Torah based off the symbolism of all these crowns. What he's saying to him is that here is a great and holy person, a person who is one of the greatest, you know, Moshe, you may have been the greatest leader, and we see actually we're not going to get into that part. Oh we'll get, we can read it. So Moshe says, who is this great man? Who is this man who's so great that he's able to look at a letter on top of the crown and literally explicate entire areas of Torah? I want to meet this man. Because I, Moshe Rabbeinu, clearly can't. So God, what does God do? He goes, So Moshe Benu, God takes Moshe Rabbeinu and puts him in a time machine and he travels all the way to the times of the Kiva and Yosef to the times of the Korban." It's when he lived. And he places him in back of the classroom. Way back there. Where, where Leonard and Stuart are sitting. And Moshe is listening to what Rubekiva is teaching. And he does not understand a word. He doesn't understand anything. Nishtaytadaito, he gets very depressed. He's very depressed. How can I not... The Torah, how do I not understand what's going on here? Until, until there was a moment... Where one of the students raises his hand and says, Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva, minolach, how do you know this in that law? Your teacher's law, where do you know it from? So, so, what does Rabbi Akiva say to them? <laughs> this comes from Halacha, from Moshe, from Sinai. As if to say, Moshe is sitting there in back of the classroom and he recognizes there was a development of Torah, the Torah develops but ultimately it all came back to him, from him at that point he feels better though. he's pacified, his mind is put at ease and he realizes that Akiva ben Yosef Rabbi Akiva is just one link in the great Nisoro of constantly developing the Torah as we, we delve further and further into it so what does he do? he goes back to HaKadosh Baruch Hu Moshe Benah goes back to Hashem and he says the obvious. if this is a man who's so great he's able to derive Halachos from the little crowns on top of the Torah If this is a man who's so great that he is the teacher, and if we'll see later, the teacher of literally everything we have comes from Akiva ben Yosef, comes through the great Rabbi Akiva. If this is a man who's so great, show me what was his ultimate reward. How was he rewarded? What life did he live? So first, I I jumped the gun. First he says, there's a man who's so great who can learn every single letter out of the Torah, and yet you chose me to teach the Torah, you chose Moshe Benu, why didn't you get the Torah to Akiva ben Yosef? Why didn't we say, Akiva ben Yosef, misinai. why did you choose me over him? To which Hashem says, Shtok, be quiet. Kach allah mach, these are, because these, it says, these, these are my private ways. These are not things you can understand. This is the intention of the God. I want the things, there are things you're never going to understand, and therefore I want you, Moshe, not Akiva. So then Moshe asked, as we said a minute ago, show me his reward. A man who really, and I'll tell you this much, what do we know about Rabbi Akiva? He had how many students? 24,000 students who died who probably were actually killed by the Hadrianic decrees. Adrian was in the times of Bar Kokhba rebellion. Hadrian made these decrees, and Salvejic said, "When we say they died from Oscar, or they died from uh, from uh, from a plague, it's because we didn't want to say then why they actually died, but they actually were killed." So what happens to Torah? What happens to Torah? You have all these schools, all these yeshivas. You have the Salem Yeshiva, you have Yeshiva University, you have the, the David Yeshiva. All the yeshivas, everyone has their own unique era, their own unique way of learning, and they're all killed out. What happens? There's one man at Rabbi Akiva, he gathers a few students around him and those are the students who end up disseminating the Torah Shepalpeh as we know it. One ends up becoming the, the, the author of the Gemara, one the Sifri, one the Sifro, one the Michot, all of Torah Shepalpeh ends up being refracted through Rabbi Akiva. This is one of the greatest people to ever live and the person who has an, left an indelible mark on the way we live everything goes to Rabbi Akiva so show me his reward and what was his reward is we'll explain a little later the story in, in full but ultimately we you know Rabbi Akiva too was killed during the Hadrianic decrees he too was killed in a horrific way and it says the Gemara he sees they were weighing his flesh in the marketplace on a scale as he sees that ultimately he was murdered in a horrific way. His skin was flayed from his body. A horrific, horrific way. So what does Moshe Rabbeinu say? He says that what we all were thinking whenever we confront tragedy. He says to him, This is your Torah. This is the reward you get for keeping the Torah. A horrific death. Public mutilation. And then ultimately literally being tortured to death, a refrain I add, which has been said over and over again, even the malachim themselves, will see soon, said it. The angels then said, and what does God respond? What does God respond? Be quiet. Be silent. This intention arose before me. We are puny human beings. Do we really think we can comprehend the mysterious ways Of the great and awesome God Is what the, the Gemara is telling us In fact, we're going to read soon The Kinnah of Arze HaLevonah Arze talks about the, the, ten, the, martyr, the, the, the death of the ten martyrs There is a parallel to this where we, we read it one other time during the year And that is when? Yom Kippur Yom Kippur we read it in much greater detail And, when the, and Yom Kippur, in the, it's not a Kinnah then It's a Slicha. When we read it then, listen to what, the, listen to what the, 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 we say on Yom Kippur. When they saw the way of Kiva his skin was flayed and murdered. The angels, this is not Moshe these are the angels. They got lost against beings. They start to scream. And what do they say? The same words. Here is a person who lived their life. And for that matter, all ten of these people who lived the life that we were supposed to live, the ideal life, more than any of us lived a perfect life. This is your Torah. This is the reward. You're letting the enemies blaspheme the Torah. You're letting the enemies of the people make a mockery of the way we live. Think about it. And we say this in the Avraham every week. But in a way, this is what the church has been saying about the Jewish people for so long. You know how we know that the church is correct and Jewish people are wrong? You know how we know that the New Testament has usurped the Old Testament. You know how we know this? Because look at the Jewish people. There are people who are battered. There are people who have, if you've seen the famous statue, which is found in multiple places, I believe it's outside the Sistine Chapel. There's a, there's a, a statue that's in the, in the Louvre as well of, of Judea. J-J-Jewis, the Jewish, the woman who's supposed to epitomize the Jewish people, blindfolded with her staff broken and tattered clothing. And then the, the woman who's supposed to epitomize Christianism. The Christian woman, standing with a staff, holding her staff, looking beautiful and radiant. The church has been saying for so many years, you know how we know we are correct? Because look at the Jewish people. Zut Torah Chorasa. You know what the reward is? they are battered people exiled from their land, kicked out among the nations every 70 years, having to move from country to country to country, losing their leaders in the most horrific ways. Which, by the way, when the state of Israel was founded you know why it took the Vatican so long to actually recognize the state of Israel because essentially they were recognizing that the ultimate proof of their, of their validity of their veracity was no longer true because they can no longer point to Jewish people and say look they're in goats. but that's, that's a topic more for Yom Hatzmah Zut Shorov Zut said to Kinnah the nations of the world make a mockery of us Osebaskal <speaking in Hebrew> Mishamayim a voice emanates from heaven as the Jewish people as the angels are saying Zut Shorasa a voice emanates from heaven. In A voice comes from heaven and says, If I hear another word, I'm going to turn the world back to the primordial state of tohu of emptiness, of water covering everything. I'm going to destroy the world. This is a decree before me. Kabluhu Accept it. Or as we said before, as we said before, God is saying, God is saying, almost it's an illegitimate question that we can think we can distill the will of God into rational categories. We are rational human beings; our ability to comprehend only goes so far, and where it goes is that's essentially where God's 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 thought process, if you will, begins. Vayir Dom we say. Right? Aaron himself, when, what, when he's confronted by the loss of his two children, he's quiet. He's silent. As we say at every funeral, Hatsur, Tamim, Paolo quote in the Pasik, the rock whose deeds are perfect, he called the rock of Mishbot, Elamunav, Ein Avel, Sadik, Vyashar, A faithful God, never false, true and upright indeed. How can we approach Hashem in times of disaster? How, sorry, excuse me. True and upright indeed. And that has been ultimately our response. Even though we are allowed to grapple with it, ultimately we say it's an, almost an illegitimate question because we can never really comprehend God's ways. Says Rabbi Salvejik, that is every other day of the year. But on Tishabov we have a heter. On Tishabov we have a leniency. On Tisha B'av we learn from Yermiyah who began, Eicha, the word that God said to Adam, Eicha, how could you? We can turn to God on Tisha B'av one day a year, and say Eicha, and say How? Echa, how can you do this, God? Echa, how can it be? How can it be, God, that we are a people for, why? Why us? Out of all the people in the world you chose us to constantly attack, to have us that we are essentially the nation of the world that buffeted around and attacked, we are the we are the, the scapegoat to the world? One day a year, Echa, says the rock. We can ask this question, the question that's reverberated throughout Jewish history. Echa, echa, echa. How can it be? How can it be? Why us? Why have we suffered so? Our history has been one long eicha experience and now we can say, how come? How could it be? Why are we constantly persecuted? Why is our history punctuated by so many periods of sadness, of tragedy, of despair? Why in our own lives have we all experienced Tisha moments? We can say Echa. Echa eicha, eicha. I think it's a powerful idea and it's something that gives us the space in the room on Tisha to think about in our own lives that tragedy think about in our own lives what we've experienced and to say, Esau. Hey, so. A few years ago, well, about two years ago, they put out a new book, maybe it was this year even, I don't remember, called The Rabbi from Buchenwald. Anyone, anyone seen it? The Rabbi from Buchenwald is about Rehearsal Schachter, not Rehearsal Schachter from Y.U., but Rabbi, Rabbi J, Jacob J. Schachter, and we've heard of him, he's, the, he's a uh, the senior scholar in the Center for the Jewish Future, one of my teachers, one of my mentors, so his father was a Herschel Schachter, born in Brooklyn, but he was the chaplain that liberated Buchenwald. The chaplain that liberated Buchenwald. He, ended, he had a, 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 a glorious career going forward. When he, again, he, he describes in, the, in, the, they describe in his memoirs, and, he, and then they describe in this book, which is a biography about him, say when he went into the camps for the first time, the Jews, and they, they, it's, it's amazing they have the description, his description, they also have the description of other Jews who saw a man in a uniform. And the only people they've seen in uniform for the last who knows how many years were SS officers. And they kind of were all cowering. Why is this SS officer looking around from us? But he was screaming on top of his lungs, Ich frei. Jews, you are free. Jews, you are free. And he's running from the camp, around the camp, screaming, Yidin, Ich frei. And the Jews realized on his rappel he had the chaplain's symbol, which was the aceris adibros. And when they realized that, they crowded around him, they hugged him, they kissed him, and they kept saying to him, Rebbe, what took so long? Where have you been? In fact, he records an um, an unbelievable story, which is recorded elsewhere. He said, as he's running around the camps, and he's confronted by this unimaginable, unimaginable scene, he sees a pile of bodies. And peering out from behind the bodies, he sees two small eyes. And he goes around him, and there's a little boy, and he just can't believe him, and this and there's hell on earth. Bodies and death everywhere, the smell of the crematorium, and there's a little boy standing there. And he looks at the little boy, and he says to him, he picks him up and he says to him, you know, little boy, who are you? To which the boy says to him, don't call me a little boy, I am older than you. So Shaka says, older than me? You tell me, He says. Which, he says, how can you be older than me? I'm a, I'm a grown man, you're a little boy, you're a little eight-year-old, who's even shorter than that. To which the boy looks at him and says, to him, I'll tell you why I'm older than you. He goes, because, because you cry. You laugh like a little boy. He goes, well, I have forgotten how to laugh. I can't even cry. So you tell me who is older. That little boy's name was Lulik. He grew up to become a strong mayor, La'u. The chief rabbi of Israel... Currently, I believe, he's the chief rabbi of Tel Aviv. And it's amazing to see they both record this in their memoirs. Be sure all may allow, Rabbi Glasser, told me one of the most profound experiences of his life was a few years ago in the Center for Jewish Future in, in YU. They had a conference where Rabbi David Lau, Rabbi David Lau, the chief rabbi of Israel, came and to meet with YU. And everyone sitting around the table... So all the leaders of YU, of David Lau is there and they're all going around the table to say, Who am I? I'm so, Rabbi so-and-so. I wasn't there, but let Rabbi Yossi Katz, I'm Rashi Chesed. And then suddenly everyone realized in a minute what was about to happen. Rabbi J.J. Schachter is going to go, say who he was, and Rav David Lau is going to go and say who he is. The, they are fathers from this story. And it comes to Rav J.J. Schachter, and I believe the words he says, he turns to Rav David Lau and goes, I am of J.J. Schachter, my father freed your father. And they both start to bawl. He said also, I saw this recorded as well, and I think he died in 2007 or 2008, Rabbi Herschel Schachter. That day, President Obama was in Yad Vashem. As we saw when President Biden was there, they go to Yad Vashem, they have the whole ceremony, and Rabbi Lau was there. He's always been there. And Rabbi Lau is telling President Obama how he was freed, not knowing the moment he was telling him was when Rabbi Herschel Schachter was taking his last breath. And he proceeded to walk outside, and that's when someone said to him, Rehearsal Schachter passed away." And, you know, he had to sit down. It was just so—it was so much for him. So I want to tell you a story about Rehearsal Schachter. This story is brought down in the biography, but also Rav J.J. Schachter said it over recently in a "Names, but Not Numbers" video for M.T.A. It was so powerful. I'm going to tell you the story, and then I'm going to tell you the commentary. I'll read it to you inside the commentary, which I transcribed from Rav J.J. Schachter, who again is one of the most amazing Jews. Rabbi R- R- J.J. Shachar himself. He says, and you may have seen this picture. I mean, if you ever seen a picture of the Davening, the Kabbalist, the first Kabbalah Shabbos in Buchenwald? If you've ever seen it, it's a more famous picture you probably see, you haven't realized. It's a picture of all the Jews, so many of them still wearing the clothing of the camps. And Rabbi R- Shachar standing there in his talis. In the corner there actually is little Lulik, is Rabbi Yisrael may Lau. Came to that first Davening and they got to the Kaddish. And for the first time, in who knows how many years, the Jews had a minion to say Kaddish. Yisgadel, v'yisgadesh, sh'mei rabba. And Rabbi Shackler writes, the place where everyone was just bawling. And everyone is crying. It was a very powerful moment. And suddenly, from the back of the crowd, someone screamed on top of their lungs. As everyone is davening for the first time, as everyone's is saying, yisgadel, v'yisgadesh for the first time. Someone in back of the room, this piercing scream, screams out. To who are you davening? To which God are you davening? The same God who took my mother and father, took your mother and fathers, and threw them into the gas chambers? The same God who took our parents and our siblings and threw them into the crematorium? To whom are you davening? He was beside himself. And Rashaka didn't know what to do. So he got up, he stopped the davening. He walked to the back of the room and he grabbed this Jew and held him. And held him. And he held him until he calmed down. And he held on to him until they were able to proceed with Daphne. He just gave him an embrace and gave him a hug. Says Rev. J.J. Schachter, it's a really good question. It's a really serious question. He says, I don't blame him for a shred of a second for asking such a question, for mounting such a challenge. I understand. He goes, I really understand. And then he says as fellows, He goes, what always struck me about the story, since my father related it to me when I was a little boy, was that this guy went to Davin. He went to the show. He yelled at God, not from outside the show, but from inside the show. And that's what made it so powerful. We have issues sometimes. We don't understand how God runs the world. We ask Eichel, how could you, God? Eicha, how could you, God? We want to yell at God. We want to scream out. But this Jew standing in back of the shul taught us to scream. Scream out, but to scream from inside the shul, not from outside the shul. Eicha, 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 we have permission to ask. We have permission to scream. Tisha gives us that license to scream, to mourn, to ask the questions, to recognize that sometimes in our lives, the story just does not have a happy ending. And we have to, you know, we are so, so used to. And then we never everyone live happily ever after. Sometimes there is no happy ending. Sometimes the ending has not been written yet. And it's sad. And we have the moment now to sit down inside the show. Inside the show, with all those Jews who came into the show and screamed at God, who were angry at God. As, the, as one of the Rebbe's always pointed out, the fact that they're angry at God shows they're inside the show. And we could say, Echel. We have the space to say, Echel. The space to sit in a and marinate in the sorrow. They say Echa from inside the show. So together now let's say this next Kinnah of Echa, of how, how could you rush Hashem in your wrath? How could you scorn us with your wrath? How could you pronounce such words? How can you abandon your sanctuary in your rage? How can you be so diligently, how can you so diligently toil and allow brutes to tear your limbs to pieces? Echa, Echa, Echa. Kinnah number 7 found on page
1: 158.